Welcome listeners to the fourth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me today, as always, are co-hosts and powerful wizards, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Most importantly, welcome all of you listeners. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. As of this episode, Stockholm Legacy Report will be available on the Top Deck app. And I would like you to allow me a few moments to tell you about Top Deck, as it is one of my favorite all-in-one magic tools. It is a collection manager, a deck builder and deck simulator with a great interface. It lists recent news and updates from around the community. It has metagame and top 8 statistics, a built-in life counter and can be used to organize tournaments. I personally have used Top Deck for years for basically all of my magic, the gathering, legacy, tinkering needs. Uh, and I would suggest you try it out as well. If nothing else, because now you can also find this fantastic podcast on there. So, in today's episode, we will dig a bit deeper on some of the Modern Horizons 2 cards that we have been testing with since last week's episode and see if they just fit into our existing plans, if they inspire us to build new archetypes, or both. We will also pay a visit to the Apothecary of Archmage Christopher for the first installment of our Summer Brews segment. Robin, why don't you take it away for today? How was your week with Modern Horizons 2? It was really good. Um... I was doing some testing on uh, Wednesday when we had our weekly testing session. Uh, I was a little bit tired after a long day of work, so I only did three matches. But uh, I got revenge against Lance, and then I lost against Christopher's Artifact Brew that he will talk about later. And I also lost against a sweet Dead Guy Ale deck featuring Ephemerate to uh, flicker some of the new evoke creatures. That was really cool. But uh, um, I think that uh, I have come to a conclusion regarding the monkey monk deck that uh, the monkey does not really function uh, as a mana dork uh, in this shell unless you probably play it with the days. I think that's where the monkey has seen most success in other decks. Uh, in a Delver-esque shell or a little bit more tempo-y shell. So I think that when taking the Monkey Monk deck further, uh, I think I would try to find a place in the meta where there's a really low-to-the-ground uh, Delver deck that you can sort of go a little bit over with a white splash for uh, better threats. So that's my thought about the monkey. I, I think it's a really good card when you can connect with it, but in so many circumstances, it just runs into a roadblock and then it doesn't really do anything. And days can sort of solve that problem, I think. Uh, but I have also been uh, preparing for a tournament which will take place in today's evening. And my thought was to uh, play Anurag Das Bant Miracle deck that he's been doing really well with. Uh, a new version of the Bant Miracle deck, which has been sort of the, the strongest iteration of Miracle ever since Oko and Uro was printed. But of course, I did a little bit of a custom sideboard uh, to mitigate for our local uh, Discord meta. And uh, that's my philosophy when it comes to netting that if you're playing like a weekly or bi-weekly, it's, uh, it's quite reasonable to, to take a list as it is because it's, it's an improbable that you will be able to tune it better than the, the author of the, of the deck. But uh, of course, when you take a deck from the online meta, you have to think about how 
inbred and online meta can be and how different a paper meta can be. So uh, the expectation for this tournament was that it's going to be quite close to the online meta, however, because it was a full proxy tournament. So that means uh, that uh, most players will be trying out the new Modern Horizons 2 cards uh, as is going on online as well. So I thought that uh, I would be expecting to play a lot against Delver and probably some of the artifacts deck uh, that has been popping up with uh, Ursa's Saga in it. So I was, uh, I was uh, doing my little bit of sideboard configuration and, uh, and found uh, what I think is a, a pretty nice sideboard setup. So you have to remember that this deck contains main deck endurance. So you have sort of your graveyard interaction already in the main deck. Compared to Anorak's uh, uh, sideboard, I, I have just two carpets of flowers. Uh, so that's one less. And uh, that's because I think that the paper meta will be a little bit less blue. And then there's two hull breachers to bring in against blue decks and uh, some of the combo decks. Two Veil of Summer and one Plus the Storm as sort of the um, interaction that you can swap your, your Force of Wills and Force of Negations for uh, against fair decks or just uh, uh, add more counters against the unfair decks. And then there's two more Terminus uh, to bring in against the Go Wider decks. And usually I would play three Terminus and one uh, Supreme Verdict, but this deck is so heavy in green, so I don't want to have to have to cast the double white spell. Two meddling mages to fight against the different kind of combos. Um, I'm, I'm mostly thinking about Doomsday here because it's a hard to fight with other creatures. And two back to basics, and uh, that's basically to to fight the post decks of the world, which is really hard to beat with the control deck otherwise. And uh, then. Anticipating uh, a quite heavy artifact theme, I've been thinking about which card to play against the new kind of affinity decks. And uh, I don't really think that Nullrod and Stone Silence do what you want them to do in this matchup, because it's quite possible that they are already uh, heavy on the board, so that even if you close up their uh, activated abilities and sometimes even their mana base, they can still just kill you with the creatures that they are already employed. My card to test for the for the evening would be Energy Flux, which is um, a real old school diamond. It's from Arabian Nights. It's a two and a blue to cast, and it says that all artifacts have at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice this artifact unless you pay two colorless mana. And I have a playset of sweet Arabian Nights Energy Flux too. To sleeve up, so that was really nice. Uh, it might be a little bit too slow, I'm not sure, but uh, I think if it lands, artifact decks will have a, a quite a problem with that. Looking a lot forward to to seeing how that one played out. Uh, I do love that we, in each of these uh, episodes, try to bring out one really old, super weird blue artifact interaction. Yeah, card. maybe that will be the theme. So like uh, the the. The, ep the last episode was the Abyss episode, this is the Energy Flux episode, who knows. <laughs> uh, but I, I will absolutely try this deck uh, further down the line, I think it's really, it's been looking really strong against the Delver decks of the world, and I think it has um, enough interaction with almost any deck 
with the like the the quite heavy counter sweep of of seven free to cast counter spells, and then there's the uh, the new prismatic ending that sort of deals with troublesome permanence at uh, at the lower CNCs at least. And uh, yeah, a lot of carpet of flowers to just like totally overwhelm the blue decks of the world. So sounds like a fun deck to play. Do you have any takes on this deck, Christopher? Well, I think uh, I think it's very strong. I've tuned into Anorak streams, and uh, the main deck is just really a really well-oiled machine. And uh, I I quite like the the energy flux uh, sideboard plan because if unless unless they have Arcbound Ravager, uh, they're not gonna feel great about it. And even if they do. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it puts them in a really tough spot, if, especially if you're looking at these blue or white-blue new affinity lists. Uh, they are pretty heavy on quick artifacts, and uh, I just think a card like Energy Flux really can do a number on them. It's it's, it's like a one-sided Jokulhaubs, like your lands, your creatures, you know, all of this stuff is just going to go adieu. I think Energy Flux has seen some play in in the in in the mox format. So in in old school, of course, it's been played quite a lot. But I think it's also seen a little bit of play in uh, in vintage uh, as a hoser towards artifacts. Christopher, how was your week? Was it wild as usual, or uh, was it uh, you know calm and slow and uh, super normal? Well, I had a pretty pretty fun Magic week. Um, so last Wednesday, I brought a completely original spicy brew to the Wednesday tournament, and uh, I would say that the the deck is best described as a blue red artificer tribal deck. And now you're probably wondering. Christopher, what the fuck is that? And it was built to dunk on aggro and control pretty much, um, leaving me very open to combo decks. But my favorite creature, uh, like my favorite all-time creature in Legacy or in Magic in general, is an extremely dangerous one-drop. And I'm not talking about Goblin Lackey or Ragavan. I'm talking about Goblin Welder, the OG Goblin. <laughs> That's just extremely. It's it's just such a such a sweet card. So I just you do have a Goblin Welder tattoo on your butt. <laughs> I you? wish, um, but yeah. So I I decided to build an Artificer deck. Well, more <laughs> rather than starting with an Artificer uh, theme, it just ended up that way, which gave me some late brewing uh, adjustments that really turned out nicely. So the deck list that I built was four Goblin Welder, one Hope of Girapur, four Goblin Engineer, one Smuggler Sculptor, three Breas Apprentice, and this is a new card from Modern Horizons. It's two and a red for a two free Artificer. Um, it's, so it's an, it's an artifact creature <clears throat> that 
when entering the battlefield creates a fopter token and uh, yeah you're gonna hear some synergies about both fopters and artificers and artifacts in this deck but the Brea's Apprentice also has some other text on it, which is that you can tap it and sacrifice an artifact to either exile uh, the top card of your library and play it until your next turn. And, or uh, pump a creature uh, plus two plus O oh until end of turn. Then we see uh, four Emery, two Psy Master Fopterist, three Urza, Lord High Artificer, two Thought Monitor, Four Mishra's Bauble, four Opal, uh, one Piffing Needle, four Retrofit to Foundry, two Winter Orb, one Crucible of Worlds, two Dak Faden, and then some Sweet Lands. Uh, two Cavern of Souls, because a lot of creatures in this deck uh, are artificers. Um, we also have four Great Furnace, four Seat of the Synod, four Urza Saga, and four Volcanic Island. Ursa Saga is uh, the latest addition to the Is This Broken in, in Legacy or Magic in general. And it's a, it's a very strong card, especially with so many retrofitters or piffing needles or, uh, you know, uh, Hope of Girapur in your deck. You can just find whatever you need to find. So there's a lot of going on here. It's, it's, it's a lot of flavors coming from one, but there are a lot of sweet synergies. Like I mentioned, Cavern of Souls on Artificer uh, just makes Welder, Engineer, Brea's Apprentice, Psy, and Ursa uncounterable. So being able to just play them uncounterable in a Delver or Control meta is very nice. My matches this Wednesday was against uh, Robin on his uh, Monkey Monk deck. Uh, the same Dead Guy Ale Ephemerate player and a goblin no not a goblin food chain player <laughs> just a normal food chain player and this deck does a really good job of just stressing the opponent out i mean almost all of the creatures entering the battlefield either presents <clears throat> a really bad threat for the next turn or an immediate threat uh, this deck goes extremely wide very quickly and all of the uncounterable uh, creatures just play really well with each other uh, especially as welders and engineers makes the other counter spells feel a bit meaningless i mean sure you can counter uh, brea's apprentice or thought monitor but if if i have uh, a welder or an emery in play that doesn't feel very good anyways so um uh, during the tournament uh, i won two games simply by adding Winter Orb to my sideboard also. Uh, a lot of mid-range or control decks have to, at some point, start and try and answering what you're doing. So when they finally tap out uh, to either start playing some removal or playing some blockers, casting an uncounterable engineer and putting Winter Orb in the bin to finally just slide it into play with Welder or Emery, it's just... Uh, yeah, it, it kills them. It's 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 not <laughs> whatever they put into play. It's not gonna be enough most of the times. You can hear their soul leaving their body as you put that winter orb into play because they might have expected something that would allow them to keep playing magic. But no, I'm I'm not about that. So this deck is a lot of fun to play, and it was a lot stronger also than I 
anticipated. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of artificers. So yeah, this is what I played this Wednesday. And uh, what do you guys think? And maybe we can start with Robin because you, you played against it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I lost against it. <laughs> we should start by saying this deck was really sweet uh, as like a, a first uh, iteration of, of uh, something that could be a, uh, a thing in, in the future. But uh, I mean, it, it, it got to the board really fast with a lot of different kind of uh, creatures, uh, flyers, uh, constructs, uh, doctors, there was everything. So it, I think it will be really hard to to combat, uh, I was thinking about if you play a card like Engineer and think that you will have a, uh, no problem against this kind of deck. Uh, you will have a hard time deciding if you want to kill Thopters or the Goblins or the Constructs or wh what are you targeting. So a real nice, uh, really differentiated uh, suite of uh, threats. I mean, the deck is, is just threats, right? <laughs> there's, no, there's hardly any answers to anything. It's just like get on the board and try to beat your opponent up and then like lock it up with the with the winter orb <laughs> yeah that's so, right <laughs> yeah it was really really cool uh and uh, I, i'm a little bit surprised not to see karn in this kind of deck in the beginning but then looking at the mana base there's no there's no real soul lands and uh maybe you don't even need that kind of card in in a deck like this you are more of an aggro deck and don't need a toolbox of that that kind so yeah i thought it was uh, looking really cool and looked a, a lot of fun to beat me up with it <laughs> yeah. i had a i had a, a lot of good times uh, i also got to do the sundering titan your mana base against the dead gale opponent and that was That's pretty rude. that that was pretty fun but uh, uh yeah what are your thoughts victor I mean, my first question is, uh, so you play four Ursa Saga in this deck. Uh, That's right. How broken was it for you? Well, uh, one game I just played it out turn two. And like I said, this uh, deck is really good at just, uh, pardon my French, shit out tokens. And it, I think by turn four, when I had activated Ursa Saga twice to make tokens, I had... 18 power just by those constructs alone uh, which probably can tell you something about the rest of the battlefield i mean it's a it's a, it's a nasty one i mean ours saga is a powerful card for sure um i would just re like recognize it's an obvious proof of the magic power creep that we have i mean just look at the history of ursa cards glasses of ursa ursa's avenging ursa's armor like i mean these are you know not fantastic cards. Yeah. Sunglasses of Ursa, Ursa's Blueprint, Ursa's Bauble, you know, see some play. Ursa's Contact Lenses, Ursa's Incubator, Ursa's Miter, and now you have Ursa's Saga. I mean, is this just a strategy from, from what see to balance out Misha's workshop? We can only speculate. Uh, I need to get four copies, I guess.
very cool. Uh, speaking of Ursa, I know that you haven't been playing the Mighty Tesserator from last week, Victor, because the Abyss is still sitting there in my binder. But what did you get up to? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't have time to, to do the Power Ranger morphing uh, of our Tesserator deck yet. But I did revisit my Yorion Rector Nickfit uh, with the ambition to playtest exactly one card from uh, Modern Horizons 2, which is Grist the Hunger Tide. Uh, as most know, Grist uh, is uh, one black and a green for a legendary planeswalker that uh, has three loyalty. Uh, and a static ability, as long as Grist the Hunger Tide isn't on the battlefield, it is a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types, and this is crucial here. It has a plus 1 ability of create a 1-1 black and green insect creature token, then milling a card, and if that uh, card that milled was an insect, you put another loyalty counter and Grist and repeat this plus 1. Minus 2 to sacrifice a creature when you do, you may sacrifice a creature, when you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker, also very relevant for this deck, and then minus 5 each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard, less relevant. So why this card? I mean, um, last time I talked about this deck, just to sort of bring people up to speed, this is essentially a white-green-black uh, nickfit uh, sort of shell it has a Yorion so it's an 80 card main deck it has uh, both Academy and Arena Rector uh, with the purpose to either pump out super broken enchantments or super cool um, planeswalkers such as Ugin the Spirit Dragon which usually wins the game whenever he lands uh, it has a Karn package so the, the sideboard is very Karn Karn-esque uh, but it also has for Living Wish in the main so the, the rest of the sideboard that isn't Karnesk is, uh, is Living Wishisked. Uh, and since Grist the Hunger Tide is an insect uh, when not on the battlefield, I thought, hmm, I can put this card in the main deck and the sideboard. Because as you might remember, with the same casting cost that Grist has, uh, there is the card that Pernicious Deed that I also tried in a very early iteration of this deck because I needed to have, need to find ways to sacrifice my, my Rectors which is the hardest part of this deck, to actually get these Rectors in the bin. I mean, let's just say that uh, Pernicious Steed was less than efficient in, in accomplishing this. Uh, now we have a Planeswalker that can help us sacrifice these creatures, which I find very interesting and useful, and can be uh, even blowout if I used to. If I minus the, the Planeswalker, sacrifice a Rector, I can bonus destroy you know, another creature, Planeswalker, on the battlefield. Um, so I wanted to test Grist and only Grist to see um, how that one card fit in the rest of the shell before trying other cards. Because of course there are other cards I want to try here as well. Uh, this went fairly alright. When I got to play Grist, uh, it, it worked as intended and it felt like a really good one. I played against Lands, I won one game uh, doing this and then I lost uh, spectacularly from sort of slightly bad keeps from my part I would say, the, they weren't ideal. But I got so Ursa's saga <laughs> out of out of those games, like Oblivion. It hits for three and then for six and then for six, and that's the game, uh, basically. And Ursa, I mean, a lands tech has such a great ability of just recurring these, uh, of course, uh, these Ursa sagas as well, because you have loops with uh, with um, Life from the Loam, and you also copy the land with Thespian Stage. So in short and short, uh, playtesting with, with Grist was nice. I need to get me a couple of copies. Uh, and uh, I'm also thinking, uh, of course, Endurance uh, might have a place in this deck. We'll see about that uh, later on.
All right, Christopher. You have earlier promised us a summer of brewing. Open up the apothecary, please. Let us taste today's flavors. All right. So one could say that today's main brew was the Wednesday tournament deck, <clears throat> which was the artificers. But I wouldn't want to uh, send you all home uh, without a dessert. So I'm going to I'm going to talk a bit about some new cards that uh, we've previously discussed uh, on this deck, uh, the Bug Witch deck. So Modern Horizons 2 actually gave this new deck some new powerful cards to play around with, mainly Murktide Regent and Grist the Hunger Tide that uh, Victor talked about. And the idea is simple. You're playing 33 instants and sorceries in this deck because you want the uh, Sedgemore Witch value. And Murktide Regent plays pretty well with that. So uh, if you uh, didn't hear that episode or can't remember the deck list, it's four Ponder for Brainstorm, four Abundant Harvest for Days, four Growth Spiral, two Flusterstorm, two Fatal Push, two Abrupt Decay, two Unearth, one Knight's Whisper, and four Force of Will. So the frets are just three Snapcaster, three Sedgemore Witch, two Murktide Regent, and one Grist the Hunger Tide. So Grist is a very grindy card, as well as uh, it plays pretty good with Unearth, since it's a creature when it's not in play. And the Witch uh, is pretty good at just creating uh, small tokens, so you get some Grist minus ammo uh, if you need to kill something. It's a it's a very it's a very fun one-off that packs a punch and can be really annoying for some decks to actually deal with. So I'm very excited to try this out. I'm gonna try it out uh, this Wednesday. And uh, besides that, uh, the uh, the grist. Let's talk about the the best addition probably to the deck, which is uh, Murktide Regent. And this card has seen plenty of play already. Um, people were speculating of whether it was a control card or a delve card. It's it's both. It's a very small. <laughs> it, yeah, like it's a it's just a such a busted card. Uh, I've heard people calling it the flying hogak. I've heard people uh, saying that you should call the uh, <laughs> the elderly home to put doom tombstalker in. It's uh, it's time for retirement. Uh, this card is massive flying threat. In this deck, it plays a very much beat down role. Most times, it will probably enter the battlefield as a 6-6 or 7-7 with the ability to grow. Now you're probably thinking, oh Christopher, that's cool, but how can you make it grow? You only pay two copies. And hey, you might be right. Perhaps playing more copies is stronger and a better choice, but Let's look at one part of Murktide Regent that might be overlooked or not really in the center. Whenever an instant or sorcery leaves your graveyard, put a plus one plus one counter on Murktide Regent. If you listened to my last rant <laughs> of the witch deck, you might have caught up that I would not shut up about dacing your Mystic Sanctuary back to your hand. And what does Mystic Sanctuary do? It puts an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to the top of your library, turning that regent into a small shonkier dragon each time. So it's a very small tech, but I thought it was really sweet to an already very busted card. So that was my 
first part of this summer of brewing. Back to you, Victor. Thank you, Christopher. That's some tasty apothecary vial contained right there. Um, rather witchy, uh, a bit dragon scaly. Uh, that's going to be nice. I'm looking forward to hear how that plays out this week. Uh, that's all we have for today, actually, people. Uh, we do hope you have enjoyed this time with us. Uh, and if someone wants to reach out, where can we be found? Robin? You can find me on Facebook, uh, which I use mostly for Magic the Gathering gatherings. So find me on Facebook and uh, be my friend there. You can find me on Twitter at ManolithMTG. And uh, it's just, uh, yeah, uh, F me up. Tell me why I'm wrong about my brews. I love to have a good discussion. And you can find me on Twitter at DiscoDrogo. Um, that concludes our fourth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Seal and Christopher Wikström. My name is Victor Bernhards. Until next time, don't get lost in the fairy tales of 4,000-year-old bearded sorcerers. Bye-bye. See you.